And the text this year that we are focusing on, that the Holy Spirit is speaking to us, is Ecclesiastes 9 and 7, and I'm using in particular the translation by Eugene Peterson entitled The Message in Conversational English, and he says, seize life, seize life. That's God's plan for you, is that you would grab a hold of life and live it, enjoy it. We've been using for the last couple of weeks this text in Hebrews chapter 4 verses 14 through 16, seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly. That word therefore means predicated upon what has just been preceding this point that you've learned, the information that you've just received, predicated upon that, you need to come boldly. Predicated upon what? Upon the fact that our high priest can be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. We should come quickly with all speed and boldness under the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy, but not only mercy. This is not just about, you know, did something wrong and need some help, but also find grace to help in time of need. I just want to ask, is there anyone in this building that's ever been in those last four words, in time of need? In time, you've been there? You know where that address is located? Uh, if you've ever visited that address, then this verse is for you. Father, speak to us today, I pray in the name of Jesus. Give us insight, and we ask that your word would impart into us that special thing that it alone contains that separates it from all of the words of men that are spoken around us every day and that truly make this the Word of God, let revelation be shared with our hearts now. In Jesus' name, I pray, and everybody said amen. I've been sharing with you a study that I did a number of years ago when I examined the stories of those in the Bible who had experienced extraordinary breakthroughs because they touched God about their circumstance. And I did this study, as I've already mentioned, some years ago, thinking that I would preach on it. And then it's like the Lord said, no, this is for your benefit for right now. And I looked at well over 30 different people in the Bible. I won't take the time to go through all of them in this study. 30 different reasons, not just 30 different people, but 30 different ways in which people touch God, reasons that compelled them to touch God, methodologies that they employed to do what Hebrews writes about and touch this great high priest of ours that we are instructed to approach with boldness. Well, they did, and they, they, got, they had an extraordinary breakthroughs. This has been foundational to my understanding of God throughout the years and uh, has helped me a great deal in my relationship and serving him. And one of the things I'll point out is that while each of those who experience breakthroughs, and I'll mention a number of the characters and, and the reasons they got breakthroughs, I mean, everybody from lepers to the lady with the issue of blood to Joseph in prison to you name it, Moses, Abraham, why did they get such extraordinary breakthroughs? in their lives. I mean, that changed everything. And while there are certain similarities from one to the other, there are certain uniquenesses that are uh, special to each particular case as well. And that's what I focused on. The one thing they, that they did all have in common was this, is that when their Kairos moment of opportunity came, they did exactly what Eugene Peterson said, put that back up there again, and they seized life, seized it. They grabbed it. They didn't sit around waiting for the second bus to come by. They didn't ask if there was a later flight out. They grabbed the one that was there. 
And God did extraordinary things for them. None of them in any of the stories that we read about in the Bible acted in an ordinary manner. Each of them acted in a manner that in itself was extraordinary. In a word, they all acted with passion. And that's what I'm talking about this year. And do you know why they had such incredible passion? And they all did have incredible passion. You know why? They all had vision. I haven't talked about vision in this series much, but I do want you to understand that that is foundational to each one of these particular stories. It's one of the things they shared. They all had a vision for how they wanted or needed things to be. Each vision was unique and different because every need, every life was unique and different, and they all were consumed with passion to see their vision that they knew was God's plan for their life to be fulfilled. That's important because Proverbs 29 and 18 says that where there is no vision, the people perish. People literally perish. One translation says where there is no vision, people cast off restraints. And that word restraints has meaning. If you've ever uh, tried to, for, for example, compete in a particular sport and there was a certain kind of uh, schedule you had to go through, training regimen, you know that some things were not allowed during that time of preparation for that particular event you were going to compete in. But once that event was over, you cast off constraints and restraints. What you did is you just, you, you might not be able to eat sweets during that training program, but look out, baby, when it's over, you know. Here come the Blue Bell ice cream trucks, amen. And um, I, I've often thought of it like this. I've shared it with you before. There's really not much difference in a river and a swamp. In actuality, a swamp can contain more water than many rivers contain. You don't believe that? Go to Cameron Parish in Louisiana. And a river is actually more narrow and confined but a river has an ability to produce commerce and trade unlike a swamp. A river, boats ply up and down it, tugboats push barges, fishing industry is conducted, money and wealth is generated and created. A swamp, good for one thing, producing mosquitoes. Amen. <laughs> Don't laugh, that's the Louisiana state bird. Amen. You know what I mean? <laughs> and you know the only difference in a swamp and a river is that a river has banks that channel the water through it. With less water than a swamp, it produces so much more because it has constraints, something that causes it to have focus, directs it in a particular direction. And people who expend their energy in a dozen different directions end up living their lives and pretty much it's kind of like that swamp. They don't ever get done what they want to get done because their energy is not directed and focused by vision and they do not, therefore, produce passion. Amen. Somebody in the building say amen. So each one of these characters that I'm talking about had other vital attributes as well other than just passion and vision. And before I launch into this today, I, I just want to remind you of why this is important to us, this teaching on how to have a breakthrough that I'm, I'm in right now, how to make this your year of breakthrough. Passion produces breakthroughs. Why is that even important to us? Well, the first and obvious reason is because we live in a fallen world and we will probably someday encounter a circumstance where we will need greater resources than we as mere human beings have available within ourselves or even that we have access to. In a fallen world, we have a limited, finite amount of resources at our disposal. I only have so many gifts. I only have so many talents. And the reason for that is it gets back to that whole 10,000 hours thing that Malcolm Gladwell talks about, 10,000 hours to become an expert. I've only got so many 10,000 hours in my life to give to anything. 
Amen. I'm a pretty. I'm, I'm an expert at flying on airplanes right now. If, if they're giving out awards, I, I've, I've put in my ten thousand there. I can tell you. Amen. And there are a few things that we devote our energies to because we don't have all the time in the world. Our time is limited here, and so uh, you can't. You can only develop so many skill sets, so many talents. Your innate gifting will carry you only so far. Truth of the matter is. Within a composite or group of people in a room, uh, a collective group of people uh, that is, are made up of different uh, backgrounds and educational dynamics and from different social strata, there may be any number of people who excel way beyond the rest of us in some particular arenas of their life and have skill sets that are much more highly developed and polished than perhaps the rest of us might have. But in the long run, do you know something? It doesn't really matter a whole lot. And I tell you why it doesn't, but there's not a whole lot of difference between each one of us. You've heard all this stuff about that missing Malaysia airliner? Okay, they're searching all over the southern Indian Ocean for that thing. And whether they send one airplane and one ship or send two airplanes and two ships or three airplanes and three ships, that area is so big that the need is so great, whether it's one, two, or three, probably won't even make much difference. You understand what I, my point is now? And whether you're twice or three times as talented as I am or anybody else is, and the overall course of life, you're going to still max out somewhere. That's the point I'm trying to make. You will still max out. Turn to your neighbor and say, you and I max out somewhere. Would you do that? <laughs> and this is what separates us from animals, the lower order of creation. Human beings have the capacity to watch others and what they're doing and to learn from that, whether that's historical lore, generations that have preceded us, or it's just the person living in the same house with us. You know, have you ever heard anybody say this, I have to learn from my own choices and mistakes? You heard somebody say that? You've listened to somebody that's been through a lot of pain, I can tell you that. Because if the only way you can learn is you've got to go make the mistake yourself, You got to shoot your own self in the foot to know that hurts? Uh -huh. Amen. Chinese say that a wise man learns from the mistakes of others. A fool learns from his own mistakes. It's better not to learn things yourself through your own experience. It's better to be observant and learn from others. And that is what separates us from the lower order of creation. Now, I'm establishing a construct for what I'm about to preach, so stay with me. And so, lower orders of animals, you know, cattle, you know, things like that, they don't have the ability to learn from the history. If they did, they'd be scarce come time for McDonald's to make hamburger. You know what I mean? Amen. They, they'd go find a place to hide. Joke, okay, I got a joke for you. Okay, a man brought a very limp dog into the veterinary clinic, and as he laid the dog on the table, the dog, doctor pulled out his stethoscope and placed it on the dog's chest and listened. And after a moment or two, the vet shook his head sadly and said, I'm very sorry, but your dog has passed away. What? Screamed the man. How can you tell? You haven't done any other testing on him or anything. I want a second opinion. I need another opinion. That's my dog. It's like a member of the family. You can't just say it died without taking some kind of test here. And with that, the vet turned and walked out of the room. And a few minutes later, he returned with a Labrador retriever. The Labrador retriever went right to work, sniffing, prodding, checking the poor dead dog out thoroughly. And after a considerable amount of sniffing, the retriever shook his head sadly and went bark and walked out of the room. The veterinarian then took the, uh, a moment to step out of the room and came back with a cat, which also checked out the poor dog on the table, sniffed, touched it with its paw, walked around, finally, sadly shook his head, the cat did, and said meow, 
and then jumped off the table and ran out of the room. At this point, the veterinarian handed the man a bill for $600. The dog's owner went berserk, $600 just to tell me my dog is dead. This is outrageous. I can't believe this. How can you charge me $600 for this? The vet shook his head and explained. If you had taken my word for it, it would have only been $100. But with the lab work and the CAT scan... I think you get my point, amen. If you didn't, ask somebody what the lab meant. And, okay. The first reason that I'm teaching this is simply because you are going to find yourself in a place where you're going to need grace to help in time of need. This is a fallen world. But that's not even the only reason I'm preaching this. There's actually another reason that I'm teaching this, and that is because but by moving God to act on your behalf, by learning how to have breakthroughs, you tap into potential and resources that are unlimited and far beyond and above those within the reach of mortal man. You, as I said, are finite. Your capacities are limited. You can stretch those. They may even be greater than mine. That's cool. But at the end of the day, Human beings can only go so far with their skill sets, their education, their talents, their giftings, everything else. You need God's help to open that realm up to you that you can't get in without God's assistance. Whenever, there is a dimension where when God begins to work in your life, nobody can get to that point by themselves. Do you... You need God. There's God's stuff that can go on there. Amen. And that's bigger than human resources can enable you to achieve. And so whereas you peek out in the development and use of all of your assets, abilities, gifts, and resources as a human being, that is not where you peek out in God. You need to hear what I said. Where you peek out... With your assets, abilities, gifts, talents, etc., your connections, your associations, your hookups, where you peek out as a human being with all of that going for you is not where you peek out in God. Because between here and here is where God takes over and makes stuff happen that mere mortals cannot make happen. This is that dimension of favor. This is that dimension of breakthrough anointing. This is that dimension of the supernatural activity of God. This is the dimension of the miraculous. And this is really what Paul means when he says in Philippians, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. As a mortal, I'm going to peek out early on. But in Christ, I can do anything. For all of those that have heard through the years that Christianity limits you, I got another thought for you today. That being a child of God inhibits you, closes you in? No, baby. When you hook up with God, it opens up realms and avenues and dimensions that you will never be able to walk in by yourself. Amen. This is why Jesus told his astonished disciples that were left agog with their mouths hanging agape. In John 14, most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, will he do also, and greater than these he will do, because I go to be with my Father. What Jesus is saying, all this stuff your mouth's hanging open about that you've seen me do, Wait till I get hooked up with you. Wait till you get hooked up with God. Greater than this you're going to do. Up until now, you know that we peek out. But in God, there's, it, that's not where the book ends. Amen. There's another level. The rocket has another stage. Amen. Hello, somebody. And this is what I am trying to convey to you. 
I want to teach you how to live a life where you can step into the realm that goes beyond human limitations. I want to teach you how to live a life that is not bound or restricted. And isn't this what Jesus was talking about when he said, I'm come to, that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly than you're able to as a normal human being. Amen. Truth is, what I'm trying to tell you and share with you is not something I can make you come to understand. I cannot cause you to come to a eureka moment, an aha moment, an eye-opening moment, an epiphany. I cannot make you come to that place by yourself. That's something that you've got to have happen inside of you because you have hunger. And there again, it gets back to that passion. Kind of like the joke I heard about, about a pastor who had studied all week long and had worked himself to a place of exhaustion in his office to craft the best sermon that he could. On Sunday morning, was preaching his heart out. And if you ever wonder why a preacher may get a little upset if somebody goes to sleep in church, this guy will tell you why. He's preaching away, and there on the front row, one of the deacons falls into not sleep. He goes into a coma. I mean, he settles down. His arms fall by his side. He lays back in that seat on the front row while the preacher's trying to preach, and he becomes comatose. And the pastor's trying to get him to wake up by preaching louder and louder and louder, but the old boy's not responding. In fact, he begins to snore so loud that the windows of that little church begin to rattle. And finally, the pastor is so irritated, he turns to the man beside the demon, I mean, beside the, the deacon. And says, would you please wake that, not demon up, that deacon up. And the man looks at him and said, nope, you put him to sleep, you wake him up yourself. <laughs> there is a point where you gotta wake up yourself. Are you getting my, my message here? You can hear it preached, but there's a dimension beyond human ability. And until you become aware of that, you will do what Paul talked about. And this is why I read this verse a couple of weeks ago in 1 Corinthians 3 and 3. He said, are you not carnal and do you not walk as men? He seemed chagrined and upset that members of the church would ever be content to live as mere men when you have this other dimension that is out there. It is with that in mind that I'm preaching extraordinary keys to extraordinary breakthroughs. That if you can get from this limited realm into that one that is unlimited, it can change everything about your life. And we spoke the last time a couple of weeks ago, Elaine was here last week, but I spoke to you about how David managed to do that. David moved to another place and to an unlimited dimension, an extraordinary breakthrough for a little shepherd boy because he had extraordinary spiritual hunger. David dared to have so much hunger that he literally went beyond the abilities that he possessed and to another dimension beyond those, a realm that existed yet on the other side of the limitations that he had been born with. Let me move on to talk to you about another. The first two or three, I'm taking one Sunday each on these, and then I'm gonna throw a number of them at you all at once until I get through with it quickly. I could take a whole Sunday. I could spend the rest of the year teaching nothing but this, but rather, I wanna spend some time talking about some other things, families and so forth, uh, later on in this year, how you can make those breakthroughs work for you and your family, your marriage, your children, your finances, other things that are important. So let's move on to extraordinary key number two. Abraham moved God by giving God an extraordinary sacrifice. That high priest that can be touched, David touched him with extraordinary spiritual hunger. Abraham touched him with, by giving an extraordinary sacrifice. We read the story, Genesis 22 and 12, and of course it's familiar to all of us. 
This is God speaking. And he said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now, notice that word, now, I know that you fear God. Actually, the word means to be in awe of God, reverential awe. We could also translate it love. Since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. I want to emphasize those words because they have meaning. Your son, your only son. That was exactly how the story began three days before with those very same words. God showed up and looked for it to happen just before you have a breakthrough. There are all these things that God had spoken over Abraham. And some of us get worried that the things that God spoke over our life may never come to pass. You don't never need to worry about that. God fulfills his word. God knows what he's promised. And our calendar may not be on God's calendar. And we may think that as soon as he promised it, he was supposed to give it. But God doesn't let his promises fall to the ground. Oh, somebody in the building ought to say amen. In fact, if I'm talking to anybody in this house that has some dreams that God's given you, some promises that God's spoken over you that are not fulfilled, you ought to lift up a hand and say, I claim that my time is coming. It's coming. He spoke it, it's coming. It's coming. Amen. And even though God had spoken these words to Abraham, let's calculate the time. Abraham was 100 when he had Isaac. According to Jewish scholars, this sacrifice occurs 33 years after that because Isaac was the same age as Christ was when he was to be offered on the same mountain by his father, God. It was 25 years before that that God had called Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldees, read Genesis 12, Genesis 13, by making these promises. So 25 to 33, now you're getting the picture here. We're talking about 58 years ago, God gave Abraham a dream and a vision, a promise. And now, just about the time God gets ready to make it happen, God says, I want to sacrifice first. And he shows up, and God will do this. You might not hear from God for a long, long time. He may give you a promise, and then it's like, the phone got disconnected. Where'd you go, God? I paid my sale bill. Did you pay yours, you know? I call and nobody answers. 58 years later, as God is about to make the promise become reality, he steps back into the picture. Oh, I love that. Because when God makes you a promise, that means he's coming back around somewhere. Someday, sometime. And he tells Abraham, take your son, your only son Isaac, and offer him for a mountain that I will show you of. And that begins the journey, a three-day journey from where Abraham lives to Mount Moriah. And now they've come to Mount Moriah, and the servants that are there with them that have made the trip with them stay at the base of the mountain, watch this, and they watch the old man and Isaac walk up the mountain. Now Abraham is 133 and Isaac is 33. And carried on Isaac's back is the wood that is going to be used to offer a sacrifice. And Abraham, according to the scripture, is carrying fire. Now what they did in those days, they didn't have Zippo lighters or Bix or whatever they are. They didn't have matches. You know what they did? They would take the horn of a steer, and they would empty all that out, and after it dried, when they went on a journey, they would take coals of fire and put it inside that, and they had bored a hole at the top on each side, put a leather thong through it, and they would carry their fire with them. And Isaac said to his daddy, Daddy, here's the wood, and here's the fire, but well, where's the sacrifice? Mm-hmm. Boy, you talk about a story. Here is a man sending his own son, only son, up Mount Moriah with wood on his back. 
2,000 years later, another only son is going to walk up this same mountain carrying wood on his back too. And Abraham is foreshadowing the journey that the father is going to cause Jesus to someday make for our salvation and benefit. And Abraham just answers the child and says, son, the Lord will provide himself a sacrifice. I love that. Amen. And I don't even have time to deal with that. Let me go on. I'll run out of time right there. And they get to the top of the mountain, and you know the story, that Abraham lays that boy, 33 years of age, down on that wood and binds his hands. Now, this is what is amazing. 33 years opposed to 133 years. Who do you think was the stronger? That boy, you want to sacrifice, you get on the wood yourself. I'm out of here. Amen. Oh, he climbs up on the wood. It amazes me, and that, I'll get around to that before this series is over. The amount of regard that the members of Abraham's family had for him. The authority he had in his own house. Mm, mm, mm. That boy climbs up on the wood. Daddy raises that knife in his hand and and he's about to give that boy as a sacrifice when this verse that I've read is spoken. God says, do not lay your hand on the lad. Don't do anything to him, for now I know that you fear or love God since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. All of those promises that God made in Genesis 12, Genesis 13, and the other chapters up to this point, this is Genesis 22, all those other promises are about to now become reality. But before they become real, before they become manifest, Abraham offers a sacrifice that is so extraordinary that he moves God to release extraordinary promises in Abraham's life and allow them to come to maturation. Watch it now. God says, now I know that you love me. You've not... You've not withheld your son, your only son. Scholars hold that the Hebrew term for a burnt offering means an offering of ascent or an ascending offering. Are you ready for this? Sometimes your prayers only can get so high. Am I talking to somebody that prayed and felt like your prayers just kind of got right here? Sometimes your worship only goes so high. Sometimes your hand clapping and your singing and your Bible reading and your faithfulness only go so high. And what I'm trying to tell you is there is a way for you to step into the supernatural dimension when nothing else will make it happen. When worship won't do it, when fasting won't do it, when praying won't do it, when church going won't do it, there is an ascending offering. It keeps going beyond where the prayer went. It keeps going Amen, beyond where the fasting went. It keeps going beyond where the singing and the worship went, an ascending offering. And these people in the Old Testament era learned to touch God and get God to move in their lives supernaturally by giving God a sacrifice. They gave something of great value. Now, it didn't move God if it wasn't of great value. If you didn't love it, you didn't really desire it, you didn't want to hang on to it, then don't give it to God because in the book of Malachi, God one time complained, you're bringing me all of these sheep and goats and everything that, that were torn by wolves and go bring it to, the, to your own politician, see if he's impressed by that. You expect me to be impressed? Uh-uh. You're supposed to bring me the best, what's close to your heart. Now, I want to remind you that there was a time, and what I'm about to say, I realize is not popular in today's world. But there was a time when they taught you when you went to church that every once in a while, you just need to give God some kind of a sacrifice. And some of you have already gotten quiet because you think I'm getting ready to talk about money, and I don't even want money. I, you keep your money. I'm not, even, I'm not even referring to money right now. But they would teach you if you want God to work in your life, every once in a while you need to figure out what you can give him of value. Mm -hmm. Oh, somebody in the building needs to say amen. 
and then you need to give it and let it be burned up. You're not going to take it home with you after you made your little display of devotion? Uh Uh-uh. It's not going to be yours anymore. It's going to be put on that altar, and it's going to be burned up and reduced to ashes. But what meant something to you when you left it in God's hands ascended up higher than your prayers would go and, and higher than your worship would go some and if you really needed a breakthrough and your prayers weren't getting it done and, and your worship wasn't getting it done and you asked somebody to agree with you and that wasn't getting it done, there was a, a way for you to get something out before God. Amen. Amen. In the old days, they used to teach that as a, as a part of being a church, that you need to make a sacrifice and in your life. Give God something. That means something to you. Give him some of your time. Amen. Serve him. Give him, you know, don't just come to church to get. But, I mean, things have flipped 180 degrees the opposite direction. And I'm not showing my age. I'm just preaching Bible that never changes. Nowadays, I go to church to get and to get motivated. Oh, you got really quiet here. Hello, is this microphone working, Johnny? Amen. I'm preaching better than some of you are responding right now. And these days, we think we're doing God a favor if we go to church on Sunday. Yeah, that's my sacrifice. That's not a sacrifice for you to go to church. You were commanded to go. Amen. Get your carcass up and get out of bed and go to church on Sunday morning. Amen. That's not a sacrifice. And sometimes we aren't even faithful in doing things like that. But the truth of the matter is you need a way to get beyond sometimes where everything else has stopped, where your prayers have hit a ceiling, where your fasting hasn't broken through. There was a way to get God's attention. Get something that meant a lot to you and offer it to God and say, this is yours from this day forward. Now, I'm not trying to be legalistic, and I don't want you to think that because this is not what I'm preaching. I'm not preaching that you earn or merit God's favor and attention. I'm just talking about as an act of devotion because what did God tell Abraham? Now I know that you love me. Now I know that you have all for me. Wait a minute, God. You already know what's in my heart. Yeah, But the point is, I want you to know what's in your heart. Amen. You hear what I'm saying? And he offered a sacrifice. And because he gave something so extraordinarily valuable, it flung open the doors to that supernatural dimension that I was talking about a while ago. And all of the promises of God now began to be fulfilled. And again, I'm not talking about a monetary offering, though that I suppose is one way you could do a a sacrifice. But the point I'm making is give something that's important to you. In today's Christian world, we find that repulsive and even repugnant. We don't want to give anything. It's about I'm going to church to get. And I want to tell you that's not genuine, authentic, Bible-based Christianity. You don't talk about getting until you first satisfied the lordship issue and made him Lord. Hello. I can do all things through Christ. The all things doesn't come until the through Christ comes. You hear what I'm saying? It's in that moment of surrender that it opens up that dimension of the world out there. And here's what's amazing is that whatever God wants from you, he won't even keep it. You're thinking, oh, it's going to cost me so much. I'm going to have to lay it down. And you know what God is saying? (coughs) They don't even know it when they leave. I'm going to give it back to them to take home. But in your mind, you've got to reach the point that it's dead to you, that God has been given it because he is of greater value. Stay with me, Lord. I feel it coming on right now. Mm. Y'all hear that thunder? Lightning's getting ready to strike. I feel something moving here. 
Seriously, I do. Now, I'm going to tell you something, and you're going to think it's really silly, but I'm so liberated today, I don't even care. I'm serious. I'm not saying that to be smart, Alec, because I'm not. I'm going to tell you something about my own life I've never told you. I don't think in all these years, I don't remember telling it. But if you ever meet with me, don't ask me to eat, uh, meet with you at a Starbucks. You say, now what does that have to do with what he's preaching this morning? I'll tell you what it has to do with it. I don't drink coffee. We're going to go somewhere where they have a Coke Zero. I will compromise there must at least be Diet Coke. Why? You don't like coffee, Pastor? I love coffee. I'm from Louisiana. How can you even think I don't like coffee? I like that deep, dark community roast coffee. Y'all know what I'm talking about? I don't need something from Rwanda or Ethiopia. Give me community roast, dark, dark roast coffee, and I'm right at home. I'm serious. I'm talking about the kind when you put the spoon in, the spoon keeps going all the way down because it's so strong it dissolves the metal. And when you only have this much, a quarter inch left in the bottom of the cup, you still can't see the bottom. That's how thick it and dark it is. I mean the kind that puts hair on your chest. You know what I'm talking about? Sorry, I don't even know where that came from. That was something my grandmother used to tell me years ago. I love coffee, but one day God showed up and I knew that my potential was limited. I knew that my resources would someday come to an end. And God said, I want a sacrifice. God, I want a revival. I want to be used of you, God. I want to make my life count. Well, what can you give me? What do you have? What do you have that you can offer to me? What do you really love? I said, I love coffee. Be very careful when God asks you questions like that. Am I saying it's a sin to drink coffee? No. When I get to heaven, I will be the first in line in the New Jerusalem Starbucks. And I'm praying they will have dark community roast there too. Community dark roast, yes. Amen. No, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it, but it mattered a lot, and I didn't have any money. Money? Are you kidding? I was raised in, in the marshlands of Louisiana with morse mud between my toes. I didn't have something I could give God, and I wanted to show God somehow, God, you know I love you more than anything else in this world. And so you know what I did? Some of you are laughing and saying, oh, that's so silly and foolish. I'm so free right now. I don't even care what you think. Go ahead and think it. But you know what I did? One day at an altar, I said, God, I want you to use me. I want to be anointed. I want to walk in that dimension from another world. And I said, God, I'm laying aside. I don't have anything else to give. I don't have money. I don't have cars. I don't have a house. I'm just a young kid, just got saved, just got married. God, I'll never drink coffee again. And you know, to that day till now, I haven't. And I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that to make you think, oh, he's such a mortar. <laughs> really. I'm going to stand beside people like Paul who were stoned and shipwrecked. And God's going to say, oh, that's great, Paul. That's wonderful. You were stoned, shipwrecked, left for dead. Richard, what would you do? Oh, I quit drinking coffee for you. <laughs> you get my point. I'm not trying to impress you. You're missing the point altogether if you think that. What I'm trying to show you is that along the way, if you want to break into the supernatural realm, you need to show him that you love him more than anything else. And really, as I said, he already knows. 
But the one he wants to really know is not him, it's you. Because when you give, you love him enough that you come to the point that you're willing to lay down anything for him, something changes, that is a game changer. Up until then, the flesh will all, and all of your life, your flesh is going to have a voice. You know that. Your body, soul, and spirit. Your flesh will always have a voice. John Osteen one time said, and I, I thought it was so brilliant and profound. He told me, he said, the problem with spirit-filled folk is they don't understand St. John 3. I said, how's that, sir? He said, John 3, he said, that which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of spirit is spirit. Spirit-filled folk keep trying to make the flesh become spirit. Stop and think about it. As long as you live, you're going to have flesh to contend with. And it's going to have a voice. But there is a point in your life that you can reach where you say, flesh, I hear you yapping back there, but I'm not listening anymore. You can't shut it up, but you don't have to listen to it. And what I'm trying to tell you is, like I said a little bit earlier here today, Pope's Catholic, bear lives in the woods, and I'm going to go to heaven being a Christian. That's just the way it is. Will I make some mistakes along the way? You better know I will. But am I giving up and quitting? Never, not on your life. Hear what I'm trying to tell you. There is a point where you begin to sacrifice in your life, and what that does, it doesn't convince him. It shows you that I love him more than this stuff. Now am I making sense to you? This is Jesus showing up on the shore of Galilee and says, Peter, do you love me? Oh, yes, Lord, I love you. Hallelujah. Praise God. Glory to Jesus. I love you. Amen. Here, hold my hat while I dance. Amen. I love you, Lord. I love you so much. Well, Peter, do you love me more than these? Now you done really got to meddling here and amen. Mess things up. Because that's the ultimate question. And if you want to live in a dimension of breakthroughs, you need to resolve the ownership issue before you get to a point of need. Somebody help me right now. Mm, I'm done. But hear what I'm trying to tell you. Even, and, and I, again, I think that one of the greatest mistakes of modern Christianity is that we teach our people that serving God is pain-free there are no thorns on the roses, and the rocks never hurt your feet. I think it's a mistake. We think that because Jesus became the sacrifice for sin, there are no more sacrifices of any kind to be offered. And we don't even understand what Paul is talking about or the writer in Hebrews. There is no more sacrifice for sin that can be offered. But there were five kinds of sacrifices offered in the Old Testament, not just the sin offering. And the early Christians understood that once Jesus climbed on that cross, there was no other sacrifice for sin that could be made. But they did not stop offering sacrifice to God. It's getting a little quiet now. I see some of you need to go read your Bible. It's okay. In fact, the Apostle Paul says in Romans 12, and I'm closing, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Listen to what Peter said in 1 Peter 2 and 5. You also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Wait a minute. I thought all the sacrifices stopped when Jesus climbed on the cross. No, Peter says only the sin sacrifice stopped. We as believers must find a place in our lives where we can give something meaningful to God. Why? Not because we buy his favor or his attention, but because it resolves the lordship issue in us. 
Amen. And that gives you confidence when you are in your time of need. You can come boldly to the throne of grace knowing that you can touch the high priest. Somebody in the building say amen. And I really am done. But Abraham offered a sacrifice that was extraordinary and moved God extraordinarily. So much so that for the next 2,000 years and then the next 2,000 from then to now, 4,000 years, the world is still being impacted by a sacrifice he made. Paul spoke of the sacrifices of our praise, the sacrifices of faith, and the sacrifice even of our possessions. Amen. So sacrifices are still a part of the modern believer's life. Sacrifice of praise. You don't feel like praising God? Praise him anyhow. Amen. I don't feel like going to church. Who, what's feelings got to do with it? Go anyhow. Am I making sense to anybody right now? I don't feel, do it anyway. Just like Nike used to say, just do it. Amen. Sacrifice. You give God something and show him that he's really Lord. You, and I say this in conclusion. One could even ask how Isaac or Abraham could sacrifice Isaac. It doesn't ever start with an Isaac. You need to know that. If you're waiting for your big moment of need, oh, I'm on, when I'm diagnosed with a big C, I'm going to offer a big sacrifice. Uh, you can't start out offering sacrifices of Isaacs. That's, that's, not, that's not what you offer right out of the chute. Uh -uh. You know how Abraham could offer God Isaac? not knowing the outcome because it was through Isaac that God said your seed would be called? How could God ask Abraham to now give that boy up because Abraham is expecting Isaac to someday get married and produce the grandchildren for him that would begin this nation God had promised Abraham that, it would be, that he would be the father of? How is it now, how is it that Abraham can give up this Isaac not knowing how this is going to turn out? It's because years before, God said, I want you to come out of Ur of the Chaldees. And the scripture says he went out not knowing where he went. Sometimes you've got to offer a sacrifice when you don't even know what the outcome is going to be like.